is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It might be the end of Roe v. Wade before the Supreme Court. That's what Mike Pence thinks, and a lot of other people think so, too. Good evening. Welcome to the Mark Levin Show. Great one is off tonight. Me, Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia. Your fellow Levinite with you. Big day before the high court today. And hopefully we can see the end to one of the absolute worst decisions a court has ever made, ever, ever in the history. It's funny because... My first book of Mark's that I read was Men in Black. And every time I see him, I reference that. And he does a lot of great work on obviously detailing what an absolute disgrace Roe v. Wade was. And that's really what the high court is tackling right now. The science has changed. So much has changed. And now the question is, will they overturn the precedent of not just that case, but also the Casey decision out of Pennsylvania, of all places. So we'll, uh, we'll get into that tonight as well. And the crime situation in America is surging to such a degree. You know what's amazing? All these places are, are blue places. They're all liberal cities and states in America. My, I'm broadcasting for one Philadelphia tonight where we have surpassed 500 homicides. And you know the new thing now are these smashing grabs, right? They go in, they smash, and they grab, and you're not allowed to call it looting. Now, I kid you not now, if you call it looting... That is somehow, and I don't know how, somehow, I think, racist or it's unwoke or undead or something like that. Can't call, it, can't call it looting. All right? It's just looting only occurs in a social justice context now. This is according to some professor who said, don't call smash and grab robberies looting because looting occurs in a social justice context. Which, when you think about it, though, is actually what the left's been saying, right? I mean, they've been saying when all these protests happens and riots happened. And you had people who were protesting, but then also people who were rioting and looting. And they kept saying, well, those are just peaceful protests. So now that you've got people coming out and saying, listen, don't call it, don't call it, uh, listen, you know, don't call it looting. All right. It's not looting. It's just looting is social justice. You can understand that mentality because we've been accusing them of, of thinking that way this entire time. You don't really think it's looting. You think it's social justice. And up until now, they've said, no, 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 we're trying to distinguish between Peaceful protesters and those committing violence. Now, we knew the difference. You and I knew the difference. Mark Levin knew the difference. Levinites know the difference. But we've been, they've been trying to play a little word game with us, right? You know, cities would be on fire. Stores would get smashed in. People running out with TVs. And they'd go, no, 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 that's not what we mean when we say peaceful protest. Oh, so what do you mean? Well, I mean people protesting. Okay, so what do you call all that? And you had Nancy Pelosi and you had all these other members of Congress defending what was happening in those cities. Cities were burning. And they were defending them and saying, no, no, these are just peaceful protesters. And you might have thought there was a cognitive dissonance. Like, wait a second, wait a second. Are you not seeing what I'm seeing when I turn on TV? Are you not seeing stores being broken into and people running out with stuff? Are you not, are you not seeing things on fire? What, what are you missing here? And now I hear this professor come out and say, don't call it looting. Because looting has a social justice connotation. And then I realize the Democrats in their mind, when they saw all this happening, they never thought it was anything but peaceful protesting. Because in their mind, that's part of protesting. And, and, and who gets to decide what's peaceful? Well, that's certainly not anything we get to decide, you understand. That's, that's not our business. Who gets to decide what's peaceful? You certainly don't get to decide what's peaceful. Maybe the media does. Maybe MSNBC does. Maybe CNN does. But you don't. And if you use the term looting to describe, for example, the recent theft, you 
might just be a racist. Professor Lorenzo Boyd saying looting is a term that we typically use when people of color dot, dot, dot. And now I, I don't look at it as a racial thing. I don't think you look at it as a racial thing. I don't think anybody with a brain looks at it as a racial thing. I think we look at it as a criminal thing. It's a criminal problem. Whenever there's looting or there's stealing or there's these smash and grabs or shoplifting, whatever it is. I mean, these things, these are these are criminal acts and they need to be dealt with and prosecuted. The problem is it's not a racial thing. It's a mindset that the left has, which is that criminals are victims. Now, they want to pretend like it's a social justice thing. But actually, that's because they really view all crime through a social justice lens. Here's here's what I here's what I mean by that. You take uh, Philadelphia, for example, where Larry Krasner is a district attorney. This is a guy who believes that if you commit a crime, it's because you are oppressed. You have to understand the system is against you. It always has been. The schools have failed you. Society's failed you. Capitalism's failed you. And it's, come on, we're not going to put you away. You're only here because we failed you. You didn't fail us. We failed you. So that's why people get back on the streets. That's why bail reform is such a joke. You know what the cops tell me in the city here? Cops tell me that it used to be that a cop would be on the street. Talk to people, get to know them, community policing. Get to know them, chat with them, find out who the bad guys were. And when people would come to the neighborhood, well, they didn't recognize, they'd call the cops. And these are, these are white neighborhoods, these are black neighborhoods, brown neighborhoods, whatever other little colorful designation the left wants to use because they always have to put people in boxes. Everybody's doing the same thing. Then you get this very, very woke district attorney. What he starts doing is what a lot of woke district attorneys across the country are doing. He's letting people out of jail. He's not prosecuting people. It doesn't matter what they are. I mean, in terms of what their what their crimes are, just letting them out and putting them back on the street. So what happens? The people become incredibly nervous about calling the cops because, let's face it, snitches get stitches and they don't want to get stitches. So they don't tell the cops anything, knowing that if they tell the cops something, the guy's going to be out of, back on the streets the next day. Only now he's going to know somebody dropped a dime on him and he's not going to like it and he's going to find out who did it. And it's not going to end well. So what's happening now is the cop's job is getting even harder, harder and harder. This professor comes out and says the other day, he goes, listen, looting shouldn't be used to describe these large scale thefts in California. Because it has racial connotations, he says. I mean, dozens of stores and businesses across California ransacked over the weekend, brazen crime sprees. He says they should be called organized robberies instead. Organized robberies. And he goes, well, why? I don't understand. And what he said was, he said, quote, the penal code defines looting as theft or burglary during a state of emergency, local emergency or evacuation order resulting from an earthquake, fire, flood, riot or other natural or man-made disaster. So then they quoted two experts, two academics, of course, who said the term looting had racial connotations. Looting is a term that we typically use when people of color, urban dwellers, people of color or urban dwellers are doing something. We tend not to use that term for other people when they do the exact same thing. And then this guy who is the director of the Robert C. Maynard Institute of Journalism, Martin Reynolds, he said, this seems like an organized smash and grab robbery. This doesn't seem like looting. Now, if you saw a bunch of people running into a store, smashing windows, going in there and getting stuff and taking it out, but they, they had masks on. So you could not know what the color of their skin was. Would you wait until you found out exactly what their race was before you designated it a, a looting or a smash and grab? Would you do that? Would you sit back and wait for that? I'm just, I'm curious. 
And, and you just sit back and you go, wait, 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 we can't call this. We got to find out. Are they are they white or black? Because if we, it's different. I mean, it's the stupidest thing I've ever heard in my life. All we want is we just want people to stop stealing things. Even Obama's nominees, who, of course, have histories of shoplifting, just stop stealing things. Whether it's a smash and grab during a, a natural disaster or a man-made disaster or not, whether the penal code describes it as looting or not, nobody, and I, I mean nobody with a brain, thinks this is a racial connotation issue. What they think is it's a criminal justice issue. But this is what the left does, right? They play games. They'd rather focus on a word and the origins of a word and whether or not that word might trigger somebody's feelings being hurt than cops going in there and actually stopping the people who are doing the looting and or smashing grabs and or robberies or whatever else you want to call it. And this is what's happening. Because the larger issue is that these liberal prosecutors believe white, black, brown, whatever, you're a victim of society if you are a criminal because the system has failed you. And I don't mean just the system of education. I mean the system of capitalism. Capitalism has failed you. That's why they're Marxists. Mark talks about this, obviously, in his newest book. I mean, this is what Marxism is all about. And when you get these people who are, in fact, Marxists, who believe that society, because you have classes of people and society has people that are the haves and the have-nots. And so the system of capitalism now has forced people to do what is like what Jean Valjean, to steal a loaf of bread to feed their family, only this time it's TVs. When you have that mentality and that mindset, and then these people are are, are charged with a crime, these very same prosecutors are going to say, I'm not putting that guy away. For what? For something that capitalism did? For something that the system did to him? No, 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 no. I'm not doing that. And this is what's happening. And so all across the country right now, you've got people smashing, grabbing, looting, whatever you want to call it, because they know they're not they're not going to get in trouble. I mean, that's the bottom line. They know they're not going to get in trouble. You try shoplifting in San Francisco, you're not going to get in trouble. Come on. That's they they don't even they 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 don't even give you a dirty look anymore. I think literally if a store owner gives somebody shoplifting a dirty look, I think the store owner gets in trouble. I think that's what happens. And I know that, that in Philadelphia, for example, if somebody shoplifts and then they just say, I'm really sorry, then you have to just give it to them, I think. I think that's the law now. You do, okay, well, I understand. Your apology accepted. Here, just take it. And this has become such a problem around the country right now. And it's happening almost on a nightly basis. Why is it happening? Because people think they can get away with it. That's why. They think they can get away with it. And so you have now, in these liberal cities across the country, people turning around and going, hey, it's a Thursday night. Let's go smash and grab. Let's go, riot. Let's go loot. Let's go riot. Whatever, whatever definition you want to use. And then you've got people coming on television saying, you have to understand, what you're seeing here in America, this is, this is, this is not the same thing as looting. Looting is social justice. Which then gets back to Nancy Pelosi and gets back to the left and the Democrats and all of them together who have said consistently and defended consistently Seattle burning, all these cities burning, defended all of these very, very violent nights of protest as peaceful protesting. And so if you thought back then, wait a second, they're just not seeing what I'm seeing on television. No, they were. They were. They just think in the context of social justice that that's just part of it. That's part of social justice in today's day and age. And so now in cities like Philadelphia and San Francisco and other places, where you've got the chief of police in San Francisco, Bill Scott, to calling it, he said it came out, he called it looting. Looting, but in San Jose, California, where it's also happening, there the police chief shied away from it. He said, we're, we're, we're calling this two incidents. We're not going to say it's looting. Uh, this is armed robbery, or organized robbery. It's not looting. You see what the left does? 
They're more concerned with a word and how a word hurts people's feelings than property being stolen, than lives being impacted by stores being broken into, by neighborhoods being trashed. You get them around a circle right now and ask them the worst part of what's happening with all these smash and grabs. And most of the people on the left would tell you the worst thing is when people call it looting because that hurts people's feelings. That makes people feel bad, feel bad inside. And so you shouldn't call it looting. Call it organized robbery. I mean, they're literally now playing with language to such a degree that they're trying to change the definition of when people smash into windows and run inside a store and grab as much stuff as they can and run out. That's where they are today. They're not about trying to stop it. They're about trying to make sure that what you call it doesn't upset somebody. They're not trying to stop it. They're trying to make sure that what you say about it on TV or on the radio doesn't trigger somebody. I mean, this is how insane these people are. But it's happening night after night. And meanwhile, you've got violence soaring as well. Because whenever you've got a city that turns its back and says, well, we're going to let petty crimes happen like shoplifting, this is what occurs. And you get more people coming in to commit bigger, bigger, bigger shoplifting until you eventually now turn around and you realize now you've invited this problem into your city. Because the minute you said we're no longer going to prosecute people for shoplifting, people said, let's go there. It's the amazing thing about supply and demand. When there is now a supply of places that will let you come and steal stuff without punishing you, there's a whole group of people that will come in and say, great, I've got a demand. I want to go steal stuff and not get prosecuted, too. Let me join the party. And that's exactly what you're seeing across the country right now. So call it looting, call it smash and grabbing, call it organized crime, call whatever you like to make sure that a liberal near you is not offended. But just remember this. It's happening in liberal cities, in liberal states across the country. And normal people are waking up white, black, brown and otherwise and turning around and saying, I don't want this anymore. I don't want this here. Enough with the woke prosecutors. Enough with the woke policies. Enough with the ridiculous bail reform. Enough is enough. I want safe communities. 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. This is the Mark Levin Show. The great one's off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli, in with you. Great to be here. Mark Levin. In today's digital age, where cyber threats loom larger than ever, safeguarding your personal information is paramount. So why is Congress considering a law that could put your credit card data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? This Durbin Marshall credit card bill could jeopardize your financial data, make it more susceptible to cyber intrusions. It's a controversial bill that proposes a shift in billions of dollars worth of consumer transactions to payment networks that lack the robust security measures consumers rely on. Who could possibly want that? Well, the answer, woke corporate megastores seeking to inflate their multi-billion dollar profit margins. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill will undermine our safe and convenient payment systems and endanger your data security. It's time to take a stand. Visit electronicpaymentscoalition.org. Make your voice heard. Tell your senators to oppose the radical Durbin Marshall credit card bill paid for by the Electronic Payments Coalition. This is going to be one of the biggest issues in 2022 in the elections, no doubt. The, the crime and education are going to be, I think, the two top issues everywhere across the country. Think about what's happening right now, right? Two Minneapolis Best Buys were robbed on Black Friday. Then these smash and grabs, looting, whatever you want to call it. I don't care. Pick your word. I'm not going to be like a woke liberal and decide that I'm going to focus on the word. 
uh, whatever you want to call it, right? It's people breaking in and stealing stuff. Lots of people doing it. Flash mobs and everything else. Of course, these liberal professors are only concerned about how the word makes people feel. But how about what the, what the looting does to make people feel? How does that make people feel? Out of curiosity. The CEO of Best Buy, you know what she said? She came out and she said that there's trauma from these employees. That's what they're feeling right now. There's all these thefts that are happening across the country at her stores, for example. Organized crime. People come into stores with the intent to steal consumer electronics. And she said, quote, these are traumatic experiences and they are happening more and more across the country. And you have you've got other retailers saying the same thing, too. These employees don't want to deal with this. Imagine this. You're working at Best Buy and all of a sudden you've got a mob of 25 people coming in and just start stealing stuff. Remember that? I mean, that, that happens to you. How are you going to feel about that? You're going to be OK. You gonna feel good about your job. She said, when we talk about this, there are so many people looking for other jobs or switching careers. This, of course, would be something that would play into my concerns for people because our priority, number one, is just human safety. And it's hard to deal with this potentially multiple times in one location. San Francisco has been a hot spot for these crimes, but they're, it's across the country. Nordstrom, two Nordstrom stores in California. They also went in there looting, smashing, grabbing, stealing purses across the country. Like $25,000 worth of purses, which, by the way, could just be one purse. I don't know if you know this or not. If you're a guy and you're married, you know this. Purses can be incredibly expensive. But I think it was more than one. I have to double-check my facts on that, but I think it was, oh, yeah, $25,000 in luxury purses stolen in the latest grab-and-go theft in California. Grab-and-go, smash-and-go, looting. You see what I mean? See the, the games that are played with words, it's amazing, right? It's amazing. And if you think this isn't organized, then you're crazy. This isn't just people randomly just deciding they're just going to go steal and other people just randomly decide at the same time. They're organizing on social media. They're using social media to organize a time when they're going to go in and smash a store and smash the windows and go in. Exactly what looters do. That's what I mean. I'm not going to get obsessed about the word, nor should you, because you're a thinking human being. This happening around the country, of course, is what's making people, I believe, turn around and say, enough is enough. And this is going to have ramifications in 2022. Mark my words. It's Rich Zioli in for the great one. Coming right back. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. Mark Levin, the modern voice of the Founding Fathers. This is the Mark Levin Show. Dial in now at 877-381-3811. San Francisco has become a shoplifter's paradise. That's right. And people are taking advantage of it. And because of that, now stores are closing. People are not going to jail, though, of course. But violence is happening, as you can imagine. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli, from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia. Great to be with you tonight. By the way, Chris Cuomo is out at CNN. The lesser Cuomo, as I call him. He's out. I'll talk more about that in the next hour. But... Let me give you just some of the ideas of what's happening across our country, okay? So a couple, uh, Jason Riley from the Wall Street Journal 
last month, October, he wrote a piece out how San Francisco has become a shoplifter's paradise. Thefts under $950 are effectively decriminalized. Okay? Now, you can get a lot of stuff under $950. I don't know if you've noticed lately. TVs are way under $950. I'm not saying they're like the greatest TVs or they have all the great features, but you can 100% get a big flat screen TV for well under $950. So now if you shoplift TV because you're, you're part of looting or grab and goes or, or fun and games or whatever you want to call it, and you get a TV and it's under $950, you basically you won't get prosecuted. They're going to let you go. Why? Because they have now this ridiculous idea Prop 47, California ballot initiative, theft of less than $950 in goods is treated as a nonviolent misdemeanor and rarely prosecuted. So stores that want to get sued, they tell people we, we, we don't even do anything anymore. But now when you've got marauding mobs of people going in and stealing things all at once because they're organizing on social media and they're going, hey, let's meet up at Target at seven o'clock and we'll all go in at the same time and just overwhelm them. Uh, four men on Wednesday in California in Santa Rosa fled with $20,000 of merchandise from an Apple store. In San Jose, $40,000 of items were stolen from a Lululemon store. That's right. They're even stealing yoga pants now. I mean, I thought yoga pants were so sacred that nobody would ever want to steal them. I just know there's certain things in our society that we just don't touch. Yoga pants being among those things. But clearly not. They went and grabbed those as well. Uh, in, in Chicago, they stole over what? I mean, how much was it in Chicago now? Can I go $25,000 at a village shopping center. It's happening all across the country. And so now what's happening is employees are quitting because they're turning around saying, I don't want to deal with this. Why would I deal with this? And let me tell you why the prosecutors on the left are, are not concerned by this. Ready? U.S. retail stores and companies, this theft shoplifting has cost them $30 billion a year, according to the FBI. Now, just think about that when that number goes through the mindset of a Marxist, right? $30 billion. I mean, they can spare $30 billion just in losses. What immediately comes to their mind? I know, I know you have to put yourself in their mindset, so this is not easy, but let's try it. You have to put yourself in the mindset. What they don't hear, they don't hear $5,000 of goods from a Nordstrom store. They hear $30 billion. They were These stores, these big evil capitalist entities were able to write off $30,000, $30 billion, excuse me, in stolen goods and didn't blink an eye. Why are they not being taxed more? Why are they not paying more in taxes? And then they go on with their nonsense about how is it possible that a corporation can pay less in taxes than somebody in the middle class? Which is a lie, of course, but they say that over and over again. Amazon paid $0 in taxes, Bernie Sanders will scream. And now it is that these rich stores, they'll lose $30 billion in stolen goods and they won't even blink an eye. See, that's that's what you have to understand. You know, the reason why these woke social justice professors came out and said, don't call it looting. Looting has a social justice connotation is because they view people who loot as victims, but they also view people as who shoplift as victims, too. Let's face it, right? If these big, evil, cushy, big stores can lose all of this merchandise and money and still stay in business. Meanwhile, people are struggling out there and these people are not paying their fair share in taxes. You understand what the left starts thinking, right? How dare we prosecute these people? This is like a modern day Robin Hood. What's happening here? These big corporations are stealing from them by not paying their fair share in taxes. And all these people are doing is going in and getting what's theirs. Oh, you know they think that, right? Of course they think that. And so it's happening across the country, and employees are quitting. I wouldn't work. In this economy, 
when everybody's looking to hire people, except in radio, when everybody's looking to hire people, I have a job, though, thankfully, in Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD, one of the iconic stations. Everybody's looking to hire people. Would you put up with working in a store where every night you know people are going to smash in and steal stuff? Would you do that? Flash mobs, thievery, grab and goes, fun and games, hula hoops, whatever you want to call it. Who in their right mind would want to do that? Nobody. That's who. Nobody. Let me begin. Uh, let's take some phone calls here on the Mark Levin Show. 877-381-3811. Let's begin with David. He's in Huntsville, Alabama. Hi, David. You're on with uh, it's me, Rich, in for Mark tonight. How are you? Hey, Rich. Hello, uh, stand in for the great one. Congratulations. Great show. Um, yeah, my comment is, yes, the liberal media definitely wants to change words, and I carry on that fight almost every day um, on the Internet and in person. But in this particular case, we have to be where I believe looting has to do with taking advantage of uh, a natural disaster situation or a declaration of emergency is my understanding. So in this case, unfortunately, they may be right. But we can call it strong-arm robbery, and here in Alabama – um, you pull strong on robbery. Um, my understanding is your life expectancy could be 0.6 to 1.8 seconds. Well, you know something, and here's the thing, and, and thanks for the call, David, to the Mark Levin Show. I appreciate it. I understand your point. But actually, I actually want to just point this out. In every single place that I've mentioned, they're all under COVID emergencies. I mean, are we forgetting that now? We're talking about California. We're talking about Chicago, Philadelphia, San Francisco, all these places. They're still under COVID emergencies. They still have mask mandates in place. They've got vaccine mandates in place. You still have mayors and governors making decisions on their own. They're still under a state of emergency. So uh, in that sense, I think looting would definitely qualify as if you're going to say it can only occur when this happens under an emergency. But I don't care because it's not that's not what the lefty professor was talking about. His issue wasn't really with the penal code. His issue was the fact that let's understand looting is part of social justice because it happens during riots and riots happen as an extension of protests that become violent protests. Now, you and I can distinguish that. We understand what's covered under the Constitution, which is your right to protest, protest your government. It is a sacred, fundamental American right, which I will defend, as will you, I'm sure. But when that protest becomes violent, it's no longer protest. Remember, the left was out there all last year justifying what was happening. It was pent up aggression. It was people who said they've had it. It was an extension of what has been boiling over all of these years for 400 years. I kept saying things like this. And you'd say to them, well, what about the store that got, you know, that smashed and grabbed? Well, that's not what we're talking about, they'd say. But they view the incidents that occur during those things. If there's if there's a racial justice protest and then there's violence attached to it and then there's looting at the stores, they actually view that as social justice now. That's where we are. But my point to you is, don't think it stops there. I mean, don't think it stops when there's an emergency. They view anytime somebody who doesn't have as much money as somebody else goes in and takes what's rightfully theirs as social justice, too. And they also believe if it's anything that they've done bad, it's only because the systems failed them. It's not their fault. This mindset is spreading across America right now in all these blue places, spreading across America at, at rapid pace. And here in Pennsylvania, where I am, in Philadelphia, where I'm broadcasting from, you've got a city now with over 500 homicides. And you know what they keep blaming for the homicides? Guns. As if the guns are just shooting themselves. No, really. The mayor comes out, the prosecutor comes out and goes, we got to do something about guns. The gun violence epidemic. 
the gun violence epidemic is if people are not pulling those triggers. And this is another way that the Marxists think about crime. In other words, it's not the person, it's the object. It's not the person because this person is merely a victim of society's largesse, of capitalism, failed education. And that doesn't mean they're going to want to embrace school choice, mind you. But it's a system that did not spread enough money around because, again, these evil, greedy corporate executives were not paying their fair share in taxes. Come on, how are you supposed to feel badly for these big, big conglomerates with their billions and billions of dollars in lost merchandise when they still have so much more money they can make and don't have to turn it over to the government? That's the mindset. I mean, really, when you break it down, it's an economic thing. Crime, from you and I, our perspective, we look at crime as something where people are stealing private property and private property rights are fundamental to America, to liberty, to capitalism. We have to preserve them or the republic will fail. Because if we don't have proper, private property rights, then government can also just take our stuff too. So it's fundamental. It is an essential part of who we are. But Marxists don't believe in private property. They don't. They believe that everybody should share. And so that means then if you have more and somebody else goes and takes what's rightfully theirs because you haven't been paying enough taxes so that the government could give that person what's rightfully theirs, well then, too bad. This is, this is the new America. I just think people are waking up. I really do. I, I think people have had it. You know, they, they see these smash and grabs. They see what's happening here. I think they're done. I, I, think, I think more and more around the country, people are saying, I don't want this here. Now, does that mean California is going to change or San Francisco is going to change? No, but it does mean people are going to want to move out. They are. And, I, and you're seeing it, right? I mean, you're seeing it all across the country. Uh, let us go to, uh, let's see here. Robert is in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Robert, you're on the Mark Levin Show. How you doing, Rich? Um, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I'm not really sure why they call it smash and grab. If it's not against the law and they're not going to prosecute, there's no point in smashing if they can just go in and grab. The second thing You know why is... I think they do it? I think they do it because it's fun. Well, okay, that, that may be. But, but the other point is I think we should fully embrace the professor's terminology and, and let them call it organized robbery, organized arson, because then it takes it out of the local and state prosecutor's hands, and then it becomes a federal issue because you can use the RICO statutes against them. I like it. Yeah, I like what you're thinking. Exactly. Get it out of the hands of the woke liberal prosecutors. Yeah. Yeah. Good thinking, Robert. I like it. This is why, this is why my fellow Levinites are so smart. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, right? These are not just random acts. You can't have so many people at one time going in. And again, smash and grab, fun and games, whatever you want. Sometimes they smash. I think they do it because it's fun. I think it's exciting. I also think they do it because they want to overwhelm and take as much stuff before they lock the doors. Because don't forget something. I mean, if everybody runs into a store at once and then the store employees run over and lock the doors and they're trapped inside and then the cops show up, well, they can at least arrest them and return the merchandise. Now, maybe the people won't get prosecuted, but the store gets to keep the stuff. The goal of these people is to take merchandise, Right. So that's why I think they smash and grab. They want to overwhelm the employees. It's why the Best Buy CEO said her employees are traumatized. It's, I mean, it's, it's traumatizing. That's why. You come and you smash your way in to get stuff, and then you run out. You want to do it as quickly as possible so that you can get the goods and you don't have to worry about giving it back. They're not worried about prosecution, which is why they're there in the first place. But they also don't want to have a cop show up and then, you know, come on, give it back. It's not yours. And then they go, OK, I'm sorry. And then they don't, they don't get to keep what they came for. They want this stuff. So I think whenever they can try to overwhelm the shop owners and overwhelm the employees, that's ultimately the goal. And scare them. 
scare them by doing so. Because if you just walk in and take stuff and they go, shut it, you know, shut it down, then, you know, then put it back, that's kind of boring, right? Where's the fun in that? 877-381-3811 here on the Mark Levin Show. Uh, this is great. By the way, i got to get into this Chris Cuomo stuff. This is amazing. Chris Cuomo out at CNN. I'm shocked he was even on TV last night, to be honest with you. What he did to advise his brother, the love gov, the governor of New York, that sleazeball, who, of course, had a resigning disgrace, who's not over. By, by the way, you know, Andrew Cuomo's not. It's not over, right? This guy's he's going to come back at some point. And will New Yorkers take him back? Probably. Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, wants to be governor. He wants to now legalize heroin injection sites. Oh, yeah. They tried that in Philadelphia, too. Right before COVID in 2020, in the early part of 2020, it was a huge issue on the show. My local show in Philly, we talked about it all the time because they wanted to do the exact same thing. Have safe injection sites, they call them. Now, I don't know how that works exactly other than if I am a heroin dealer, I know exactly where I'm going to sell my product. Wouldn't you do the same thing? I mean, if you know that there's a safe injection site, which means people are going to go and shoot up heroin and it's legal for them to do so. But they can't. The government's not going to provide them the heroin. It's BYOH, bring your own heroin. So now you've got to get the heroin from somewhere. If I'm a heroin dealer, I am 100% going to that neighborhood. And I'm obviously not going to be the only one. So I'm going to have other heroin dealers there, which means we're going to compete for the neighborhood, which then, you know, that could get messy. Just saying. All right, here on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one. A lot more to come. Don't go away. Mark Levin. This is the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia with you tonight. We're talking about the crime surges that are happening across America right now, which I think is going to be one of the big issues going into midterm elections 2022. Uh, the next hour, I'll get into a little bit of the lesser Cuomo, Chris Cuomo, now out of a job at CNN, at least for a while. But remember, Jeffrey Tubin was also suspended for literally, you know, tubing it. So I'm just saying it may not be over for them. The CNN takes anybody back. They're kind of desperate over there. Uh, let me go up to let's see here. Uh, Blake is in Salt Lake City. Hey, Blake. How you doing, Rich? Hey, I really have been inspired as you've been talking about this this looting thing. And I think you're really on to something here. And as I've been listening to the conversation it just occurred to me that the Democratic Party is the party of looting, smash and grab, whatever you want to call it. They are perfectly philosophically aligned with looting, and they're totally great with taking large amounts of value and wealth that does not belong to them, right? That's what they do. And we have recent and previous ample proof of that whenever we have sufficient democratic government branch control to loot the American people, they organize just like looters. They pick their favorite target, and then they run in and do their smash and grab looting. That's that's what they are about. So why would they stop it? Yeah, you know what? That's such a great analogy you make. It really is. If they want, they, they steal our money all the time, right, in Washington, and then they try to give it away to other people. I mean, they're constantly trying to loot corporations by raising the corporate tax rate, loot me by trying to raise my taxes, loot you. I mean, it's exactly the same thing. You are right. And what do they do? They use emergencies to justify it. Do they not? Absolutely. I mean, we've seen under COVID, and thanks so much, Blake. Great point. I really appreciate that call tonight to the Mark Levin Show. We have seen the Democrats use COVID, for example, to justify taking so much money, 
of ours and then giving it away to other people under the guise of uh, COVID relief and that sort of thing. What's been the result? People don't have to work right now. There are millions and millions of Americans leaving the workforce and not in the workforce because they don't have to be because the Democrats have taken money and under the guise of COVID, there you go, take it, you take it. Thanks, Blake. Have a great night. Uh, This is the Mark Levin Show, 877-381-3811. The point of understanding how a Marxist thinks, which is exactly what Mark Levin talks about in his latest book. You have to understand the mindset. I'm not talking about Democrats. I'm not even talking about liberals. I'm talking about Marxists. The problem, though, is that you've got a lot of Marxists who are now prosecutors. Larry Krasner in Philadelphia is a great example. The prosecutor in San Francisco is a great example, too. And they have a Marxist mindset, which is that the criminal justice system has failed people. And their job is not to prosecute. Their job is to make it right. And certainly don't make it right by putting these prisoners away. It's the Mark Levin Show. Big hour number two. Straight ahead. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Chris Cuomo is out at CNN, and uh, Roe v. Wade may be out as law in the United States of America if the Supreme Court wises up. Good evening. This is the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia, your fellow Levinite with you tonight, 877-381-3811. Don't forget, Sunday night, part two of Mark's interview with President Donald Trump, Sunday night, 8 p.m., Life, Liberty, and Levin on the Fox News Channel. They just kept talking. They had so much fun together. They said, let's do part two. So you'll see that Sunday night. Now, Let's begin with Chris Cuomo, shall we? And the reason why I'm going to begin with him is because this is exactly the... He's so emblematic of the disgrace that is the American media today, which is, a, which is an organization uh, run by corporations and designed to cover for Democrats. That's what they do. It's what they do. And, and, and make no mistake about it, they also cover for China. They do that quite well. They do it all the time. The New York Times does it. They still do it. And these corporations that also happen to own news entities are all about making money. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but their news entities pretend like they're still journalistic integrities. And they are, they're, they're, they're about journalism and facts and chasing the facts and the story. And give me a break. They're about Democrats, helping Democrats win every time, anywhere they possibly can. I'll give you a great example. How many times yesterday did President Biden botch the term Omicron. He made up a new word. Omnicron. Omnicron, which is like a transformer or maybe a bad guy in the new Avengers movie. Omnicron. And did anyone in the media call him out on it? Nope. Not at all. He's banned travel from seven African nations. And all the nations in Africa turned around and said the exact same thing. Why are you doing this to us? What are you doing here? Why are you doing this? President of South Africa came out and said, this is crazy. I mean, we, we found the virus. We sequenced the, the, uh, the variant. We told you about it. What, why are you shutting us down? All this is going to do is hurt us economically. You imagine if Trump did that to seven countries in Africa? You, could you, I mean, just imagine the media outrage. They'd be asking him, what do, what do you think? These are asshole countries, Mr. President? Hmm? Biden gets a pass, even though the travel ban comes in three days after every busiest holiday weekend. 
People are traveling all over the world from these countries to other countries and then back here in the United States of America. But it's so dangerous. The travel ban can wait until Monday. Right. So it does nothing to keep us safe. Nothing at all. And everybody knows that. It's just show. But the thing is, the media just lets them get away with it. They let it continue. They let it go on and they go, oh, look at how brave he is shutting down travel to keep us safe. And, you know, they asked Jen Psaki, too. They said to Jen Psaki, why is this? I mean, Peter Ducey from Fox News, you know, well, how come this isn't racist? But when Trump did it, it was racist. And she said, well, Peter, I, I think it has something to do with um, President Trump, the, the, the tweet that Donald Trump said or something like that. Now, give me a break. Look, either travel bans are racist or they're not racist. They can't be one or the other. Well, it's racist when a Republican does it, not racist when a Democrat does it. And the World Health Organization even said this this travel ban is stupid. It's not going to do anything. And the next time a country finds a variant, they're not going to want to tell anybody because they're going to know they're going to get punished by some political hack in Washington who just wants to try to show people that they're doing something, even though it does nothing. I mean, it does nothing. They, they, come on. You know that. I know that. If it was so dangerous, they would have put the travel ban in place that day. Instead, they go, it's really bad. So we're going to put a travel ban in. Uh, next week. So travel now while you can. Smoke them if you got them. I'm so dumb. And then the other point, too, about the media covering for Democrats is that constantly, always, no matter what happens, whether it's inflation or anything else, they will find every reason to justify why it's happening and not Joe Biden's fault. Right. It's not Joe Biden's fault. It's COVID's fault because COVID always COVID. And then they'll justify whenever a politician does something really stupid in the name of COVID, like the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, the new governor, who has decided now to declare a state of emergency, even though her her state has had 0.0 cases of the new variant, Omicron, which is not a word. It's not even close to being close to the word. But Biden says it and he says it over and over again and nobody even calls him out on it. So so Chris Cuomo is emblematic of that. If you want to think of a living, human, breathing person who is the walking version of media bias in this country, it's Chris Cuomo. Here's what I mean. Not just does he go on TV and spin the media thing. He literally helps an embattled Democrat governor fight to keep his job when women are coming forward to say this sleazebag sexually harassed them. So in the Me Too era, think about it now. In the Me Too era, here you have a journalist under the guise of it being his brother, going in there and advising him on how to handle the scandal. And I know what you're thinking. You might be thinking to yourself, wait a minute, wait a minute, Rich, 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 come on. It's his brother. Come on, it's his brother. Oh, stop. He's got access to him. That's what it's about. He's got access, and he loves to do it, and he wanted to save his brother. Don't forget, it was only a few months ago that his brother was America's hero, remember? Andrew Cuomo was America's hero. He and Fauci were saving the day. And he was going on TV and doing stupid things like, Ma likes my meatballs better than your meatballs. And they were having their little chit-chats together. He was CNN's hero, too. Every night, 9 p.m., Chris Cuomo, the lesser Cuomo, would have on his brother, the governor, night after night during COVID, night after night. And they covered up the nursing home deaths. They still do. They still cover up the nursing home deaths. You have to act like it never happened. And so Chris Cuomo... I think on behalf of his network, tried to save his brother because they love the guy. They wanted the guy to be they wanted to run for president. And they don't care about Me Too when it's an allegation against a Democrat. Me Too, like every other thing the left uses, they only use it when they want to and they only use it when they need to. So if it's not a Republican they're trying to go after, they'll just put Me Too conveniently back in the hashtag box and save it for the next social justice cause. 
It's not consistent. It never is with these people. It's the only thing consistent. It's their complete and utter inconsistency on holding their own people accountable. So Chris Cuomo goes in and starts advising his brother on how to handle the sexual assault allegations, the scandal against him. And in the Me Too era, CNN stands by him. Think about this now. In the Me Too era, CNN stands by him. Until the transcripts come out of his conversations with the governor's top advisor, Melissa DeRosa. Now, Melissa DeRosa was bullied also by Chris Cuomo, who was saying things to her like, you need to trust me. You don't know what you're doing here. I know what I'm doing. We are making mistakes we can't afford. So he's bullying the governor's top aide, telling her what to do. You need to bring in me and Liz Smith and Jeffrey Pollock. You need to do all these things. Listen to what I'm telling you to do. Do this. Do that. While he's on CNN, pretending like none of this is happening, then he goes on and he lies to everybody and says, oh, listen, I, I was just helping him as a, as a brother to brother, just giving him moral support. No big deal. I won't talk about it ever again. And they didn't. And so CNN just didn't talk about it. The governor of New York resigns and the 9 p.m. host on CNN does not bring it up, does not mention it, does not talk about it. It's only when Chris Cuomo hands off his show to Don Lemon's show, uh, which I believe eight less people watch. So that would be a total of uh, 42 people watching both programs at that, that average, of course, 42 people watching. And then gives the show the reins over to Don Lemon. And then Don Lemon talked about it, but only after he and Chris did their little handoff together. I love you, buddy. Love you. Love you more. Love you. Love you. Big guy. Love you. Big guy. Love you like a brother. And then Don Lemon would go on then. Chris Cuomo would sign off and Don Lemon would savage Andrew Cuomo. That's how we go on, night after night. It was ridiculous. It was like watching children do a news show at a school play. And, and, they, and you just go, oh, that's so cute. Like, you know, the one, his brother goes to school here, so he doesn't want to talk about him in the, in the school news play. Yay. And everybody claps their hands and go, how is this journalism? And, and CNN pretends, right? Because this is what I mean about the Lester Cuomo, Chris Cuomo walks around as the walking, living, breathing human form, a human incarnate of media bias in this country, of corporate-owned media bias, which is their goal is not just to spin what the Democrats want, but it's to protect them, cover for them, and advance their agenda. He's a great example of that. He could have come out and said, listen, I'm not going to pretend that I'm some impartial guy. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a journalist. I am a, I am a lefty. I'm, 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 I'm on the left, and I'm going to push what's on the left, and Consider me your alternative to Tucker Carlson or Sean Hannity. He could have said that, but he didn't. Instead, he pretended like he was still a journalist. That's what's amazing. And CNN let it, let it, let it happen. I could not say that he was ever going to be your version of the left's version of Mark Levin because he's not nearly smart enough, of course, for that. I mean, he's not a smart guy. I mean, obviously, he's an idiot. First of all, why are you texting all this stuff to, the, to your brother's top aide? What, do you n- not understand how text messages work? You're writing this down, you moron. Why would you do that, first of all? And then he says, and then this is the best part, too. He uses his position as a, quote-unquote, journalist to get other journalists to tell him about women coming forward to accuse his brother of sexual assault. Think about that now for a moment. He pretends, he calls him up, he goes, hey, Chris Cuomo, how you doing, fellow journalist? Just wondering if you've got any leads on other women who might be coming to accuse the governor of New York on sexual assault. Now, I imagine, I don't know, I imagine one of those journalists might have said, um, Chris, that, like your brother, you mean, right? And he said, well, no, no, yeah, but I'm not asking. I'm asking in my capacity as a fake journalist for CNN. 
And they go, oh, okay. well, if you're asking as a fake journalist for CNN, well, in that case, sure, I'll tell you. Yeah, there's a woman. She's going to come forward. And here's the details. It was at a wedding. She says the governor did this to her, blah, 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 blah. But don't tell them, right, Chris, because you're coming to us as a fake journalist. And we're fake journalists telling you a scoop, fake journalist to fellow fake journalist. That's how I imagine the conversation took place. I do not have an audio transcript, so forgive me if I might have gotten a thing or two wrong in that, obviously. But then I think what happened is he goes back to the aide, Melissa DeRosa, and he says to her, listen, here's the deal. Uh, I got everything. I got the scoop on the woman. I know what, what she did. I know what she's accusing him of. I've got people. And then he starts making calls to people to basically find ways that he can sink her before the allegations are made. So as a journalist now, he's using his position as a journalist, fake journalist, to get information to then try to bury one of the potential accusers to his governor's, the, the brother, the governor. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it is amazing. It's like organized crime on television with CNN's top guy, the 9 p.m. guy, orchestrating all of this on behalf of his brother. That's what I mean. If you think of a person walking around who is the corporate media pro-Democrat machine, do you get any more obvious than a guy who is working actively to save his brother from political disaster and using his perch at CNN to do it? And CNN knows it's happening because he was out there on TV talking about it till he wasn't and doesn't do anything about it. So now he's been suspended indefinitely. But don't think the story's over because if you think that this means, oh, just one guy with a bias is now off of TV, you're crazy. This is what happens on television in TV news today all the time. A little bit later in the show, I'll play you a clip from Margaret Brennan with Anthony Fauci. And she completely lets Fauci off the hook when she brings up Rand Paul and Ted Cruz wanting Fauci prosecuted for lying before Congress, doing their job as the legislative branch to hold the executive branch accountable. And she completely lets Fauci off the hook because the media loves Fauci, which is why you don't hear about gain-of-function research. You don't hear about the lab in China. You don't hear about the funding. You don't hear about any of that stuff because they love him. They want to cover for him. This is what happens. And Chris Cuomo is now out at CNN temporarily because Will he be back? They brought Jeffrey Tubin back. And what Jeffrey Tubin did was disgusting. But at least he didn't use his position as a CNN person to get information that would help one of his family members out, who just happens to be a Democrat elected governor. 877-381-3811. This is the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one. Coming right back. Mark Levin. Mark Levin Show. Great one is off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli, in with you. You know, the, um, I mean, Cuomo, the governor of New York, the former governor was a sleazeball, the nursing home scandal and everything else that he did. But, but just think for a moment, CNN covering for Chris Cuomo, who advised his brother on how to handle a Me Too scandal and how to basically now go after the accusers of the governor, I thought all women were to be believed, right? Isn't that what we hear from the left all the time? All women are to be Oh, that's only when they accuse Brett Kavanaugh. Right, I forgot. Only when they accuse Brett Kavanaugh. If they accuse a Democrat, then it's okay to shame the women, even if you work at CNN. So now he's out. For how long? Who knows? But really, Chris Cuomo is, maybe he'll wind up on MSNBC, very possible. Maybe he'll have a Sunday show on MSNBC or another network. But is he any different, really? And I don't mean in terms of his sleaziness, but is he really any different from... 
anyone else on, on those big channels. Think about it, right? On ABC News, George Stephanopoulos, who I call the unbiased journalist, George Stephanopoulos used to be Bill Clinton's campaign chief communications guy in the White House for two terms, ran his campaign. I mean, he and James Carville got Bill Clinton elected. Now, James Carville doesn't pretend like he's a journalist. He's out there as a rabid Democrat. But what Stephanopoulos does every Sunday when he hosts the ABC This Week and when he's on Good Morning America is he pretends he's the chief political guy and he pretends like he's impartial. He spent his entire career before getting to the media advising Democrats. This is what I mean. I, I could never do that, even though I've been advising Republicans my entire career and I'm a conservative talk radio host. In order for me to get a job like that, like if they were to call me up and go, hey, Zioli, want you to host Meet the Press. Like, well, my God, what an honor. Yeah, absolutely. What do I have to do? Well, you have to do the following. Denounce Trump. Denounce every Republican. Uh, then genuflect in front of the Democrat altar and declare yourself completely independent. But they don't make Democrats do that when they give them shows. They just go, here, now you're a host. Oh, okay, great. Well, thank you. That's so nice of you. Thank you so much. So is it, any, is it really any different in all, all these different shows and channels that you see on all the time. And this is where most people get their news from. It's also why most people were panicked for at least a short period of time over this new variant that's not called Omicron because they were panicked over it because it was a slow Thanksgiving news weekend and every news channel in America focused incessantly on Omicron, Omicron, everywhere. It's dangerous. It's a mutation like no other mutation. You know, in South Africa... They said they have not had a single case of hospitalization because of the variant. And the doctors down there said very mild symptoms, tiredness, fatigue, headache. That's about it. And it's going after younger people. So it's spreading very quickly with milder symptoms. In fact, there was a German doctor who said this might be a Christmas present for the world. This might be our way out of the pandemic because this variant, which is very contagious, might overtake the Delta variant, which is very dangerous. And, and in doing so, then, because nature always finds a way to shove somebody else out. If this virus shoves out, if this variant shoves out that variant, that means then the dominant variant in the world could be a variant that is no worse, literally, than a bad cold. Now, I'm not saying it's going to be like that. I'm not an epidemiologist. I, 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 don't, I don't pretend to be one. But I'm telling you what doctors and epidemiologists who've looked at this variant have been saying. They've been saying now that these cases are all mild. So what is with the panic? What, what is with the governor of New York, Kathy Hochul, declaring a state of emergency and shutting down elective surgeries at hospitals? What's, what, 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 what is that? That's a power grab is what it is. You've got states again coming back with mask mandates, extending mask mandates, putting in mask mandates in person. Why are they doing this? Control. It's about control. That's why they just do not want to give it up. They do not want to give it up. And Fauci, part of the reason why... So many people are angry about this guy having a job at this moment in time is because as long as this goes on, you get people that say, well, let's not worry. Don't worry about how it started. Let's not focus on how it started. Let's focus on how we get out of it. I hear that all the time because I've been bringing up the lab leak theory, quote unquote, since day one. And people always say, Rich, why don't you talk about uh, how we get out of the pandemic, not how we got into the pandemic. And as long as this goes on, I guess we can keep doing that and then we don't have to talk about things like gain-of-function research. And the media will continue to paint Fauci like a saint, scare you about variants, and not give you all the data and all the facts. It's the Mark Levin Show. Coming right back.
Win. Radio's hell-raising intellectual. Call now. 877-381-3811. It is the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli, in with you tonight from Talk Radio 1210, WPHD in Philadelphia on Twitter, at least for now, at Rich Zioli. Uh, apparently now the new CEO of Twitter is even less of a fan of free speech than the outgoing CEO of Twitter. But, you know, I'm not surprised by that because they don't like us and they don't like our views. And so at some point, the other competing conservative social media sites will merge into one happy family. Um, can't wait till that happens, obviously. But in the meantime, if you want to tweet me, that's where you can tweet me. Let's go to Frank. He's in Fort Myers, Florida. Frank, you're on the Mark Levin Show. Thanks, Rich. I wanted to comment about not just how the the Democrats have justified using the pandemic to take more of our money and, and as you said, uh, more power, but even take more of our our liberty and steal steal elections and change election laws. And that's, uh, you know, even 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 worse than some of the, the economic things that. Um, has gone on with the looting and other things, but the stealing of the freedom and the integrity of our election system. But remember what it's all about, though. I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's about destroying capitalism to change the economic system of this country, and then you will lose every freedom you have. I mean, all of this is, all of this is about destroying capitalism and bringing in their Marxist socialist utopia, everything they're doing. Right. Yeah, that's no, scary. All right, Frank, I'm a big fan of Fort Myers, Florida, by the way. Cape Coral, nice town, nice uh, city. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it. You have a great night. Good good place to be down there this time of year. I'll tell you what. I love Florida. I do. And a great governor, Ron DeSantis, great guy. And, of course, over in Palm Beach, Mar-a-Lago, great president down there hanging out. No, look, I get it about the election stuff. I understand. I understand what you're saying. I'm just saying that every single thing that the left is doing, it's a very – it's all planned out. They, Bernie Sanders and AOC and, and these other people in Congress, they really believe that the, the ultimate goal here is transformational change of our country. And they don't just mean by having Democrats elected. Like, it's not the goal here. It's really not. I know it sounds like it is, but it isn't. In fact, they would rather lose than have moderate Democrats. I use quotes around the word moderate. I, they're not moderates, but they're moderate districts than have them win and control things. You think I'm kidding? They believe this is a long game for them. They do. Long game. They got plenty of time. Change is hard. Change takes time. It's not about winning. It's not about power. It's about change. It's about control and change. If they wanted to just be in power, then they would just shift whichever way the wind was shifting on things. But they're not doing that. They, they, you realize now they know they're going to lose in midterm elections. They're not changing anything. They're going full bore. Sensible, rational people would look at the results of the election, the last election we had. They look at the school board elections, moms and dads coming out, speaking out, saying, I don't want this critical race theory. I don't want you shutting down schools. I'm tired of masks. I'm tired of vaccine mandates. They would look at what voters said in Virginia. They'd look at what voters said in New Jersey. They look at my man, Ed Durr in South Jersey, beating a Democrat who nobody thought could be beaten. They would see what happened there and they would readjust. I mean, for everything you can say about the guy, Bill Clinton and Democrats of the mid 90s were smart enough to realize if we don't if we don't change here, we're going to get decimated. So they did. 
They played ball with Newt Gingrich. They balanced the budget. They went with this. These Democrats aren't changing anything. They're going full. They're actually they want to spend more money than they did the day before the election. You know why? Because they know they're going to lose. So they're not going, we're going to scrap everything and start over. No, 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 no. They're going all in. They want to get as much in as they possibly can before they lose the majority because they believe they'll get it back at some point. But elections, you know, they come and go. But the change that's implemented, that lasts forever. These are ideologues of the utmost degree. Huge ideologues. So winning an election is secondary to them. Getting what they want is the first priority. And, you know, if you're Bernie Sanders and you've got a safe seat from Vermont, if you're these other members of Congress and you're in these blue states and you've got these safe districts, you don't have to worry about this. They can be as crazy as they want to because nobody's ever going to beat them in a general election. But if you're a Democrat running in a district that could be a Republican district with redistricting especially and you're worried about this, what do you do? What, what do you do? How, do? how do you deal with these crazy people in your own party? And yet somehow or another, they find a way to play ball with them. It's 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 amazing to me. So I can't predict you what's going to happen with Biden's build back Bolshevik plan. I have no idea what's going to happen. I do know, though, that they would rather get that passed and lose than kill it and win. There's no doubt in my mind about that. You've got posters. You've got Democrats. Listen to me. James Carville Say what you want about the guy. Smart guy. Really good strategist. Bill Maher. Say what you want about the guy. He, he's been saying on his HBO show consistently, Democrats, enough with the woke stuff. Enough with the spending. Enough. Change you're going to lose. James Carver's been saying that too. Are they listening to these guys? No. They're saying they're old dinosaurs. Only old guys use the word woke. They're, they're, the, the, the left today savages those guys. Because they would rather get their agenda passed than win. Winning is not their priority at this point. So think about that when I when you think about the election coming up and you think about what they're trying to achieve before the election. I mean, at the end of the day, Democrats right now could do something about gas prices if they wanted to, but they don't want to. Because they would rather wait a few years and have you out of your gas guzzling car and into an electric vehicle. That requires, of course, electricity. They would rather do that. That's what they believe. It's what they stand for. So think about it from this perspective, right? Pete Buttigieg's a young guy, and he's as crazy as the rest of them. And he, he says the other day, he goes, you know what? Everybody, you'd be out of your gas guzzling cars, you'd be into your electric vehicles. We'll give you $12,000 to buy an electric vehicle. Whose money is that? It's my money. It's your money. They're taking my money to give it to somebody else to have them buy an electric vehicle. You see what I mean? The government is taking my money, your money, and then giving it away to somebody to let them buy something that maybe they can't afford. How, how is that not Marxism? How is that not exactly what I was telling you in the last hour? It's Robin Hood, right? I'm taking from the rich and I'm giving to the poor. In this case, I'm taking your money to give it to somebody who can't afford an electric vehicle so that they can get an electric vehicle. And I'm taking your money and I'm going to build charging stations all across the country. To, to meet a demand that's not yet there. But we're going to make the demand by creating a supply using your money to help people buy these things that nobody wants. That's how these people think. It's crazy. I mean, it really is. It's nuts. It's nuts. But the ultimate goal of transformational change, you can see it with COVID-19. You can hear it when Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, one of the least 
popular people in the history of politics comes out and says COVID is our opportunity to have real transformational change. And they mean it. They do. They mean it. I think they're worried. I really do. I think they're worried that the Omicron variant is going to be the mild variant that the South African doctors are saying it is. But it'll be the dominant variant. And this thing will end. Because I think the one thing that makes them panic more than anything is the idea that COVID goes away. Because with COVID, they have unlimited control. They have unlimited control. They can use COVID to justify everything, taking away freedom and liberty, spending money, redistributing wealth, whatever. You think they're worried about the fact that 4 million people left the workforce last month? No. You think they're worried that Americans are sitting on $1.7 trillion of money that was given to them in the pandemic? No, of course not. Are they worried about inflation? No. Are they worried about high gas prices? No. Are they worried about the fact that businesses can't hire enough people right now? No. Because all of that leads to dependency. And the ultimate goal here is dependency. It is it is taking a government and then radically changing your relationship with that government to make it even more of a welfare state than you've ever imagined. To give it the government's job being to take care of you at every stage of life. In order to do that, you know, you got to smash it down if you want to build it back up, right? Build back better. First, you got to knock it down. And they're all about knocking it down. Remember, who are the... Their heroes are people that led revolutions. Those are their... And I don't mean our revolution. I don't mean like the revolution of the United States. No, no, no. The founders are, remember, they're evil, slave-owning, horrible people that need to be wiped off uh, the history books. But, you know, their heroes are people like Lenin and Marx and Che Guevara and Castro and all these other wackos around the world who have led revolutions. And how have they done it? They've done it by creating situations where people become so dependent upon them that they can stay in power for 30 or 40 years. It's all planned. It's all planned out. They got it all worked out. So even if they lose the majority in 2022, they'll have put in so much of their socialist ideas in place that they think they'll be able to get it back. They think they'll be putting in the methods by which they can then take control again. That, of course, and, um, you know, good old fashioned cheating. But, you know, I mean, they're very, very good at the Democrats. Very good at, obviously. 877-381-3811 here on the Mark Levin Show with me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one tonight. And if you think about COVID and if you think about control and what that means, you understand why a governor like a Kathy Hochul wants to come out and say, we're declaring a state of emergency in New York, even though we have zero cases. You know why? Because that's what the left applauds. They do. They love it. And she wants to run for governor. She's governor, but she wants to run for governor. Look at every Democrat who wants to become president. What do they immediately do with COVID? They immediately come around and go mask mandates, vaccine mandates, shutdowns, lockdowns, this, that, giving you money. Do it Because those are all the things that the base of the Democrat Party today wants. They want those things. And so if you want to be president or you want to be governor of a blue state or you want to be a senator, you want to win in those states statewide, that's what you have to do. And they're more than willing to do it because they believe in that. And they have people like Fauci on TV saying, this is science. If you disagree with it now, you're anti-science. And that's their new thing, of course. Now, if you, for example, argue that Roe v. Wade should be overturned because the science of 1972 is no longer the science of the year 2021. No, no, no. That's science they don't want to talk about. I mean, literally, the, the United States Supreme Court in that case wrote law based on the science of the day, right, with their dumb three-trimester law that they wrote from the bench. Science has changed. 
I mean, what, what science has done, the miracles of science today, and what, what, what we can achieve now in saving babies, even before 20 weeks, it's miraculous what's happening. And yet, that's the one science you're never allowed to bring up. You can't bring that up. They won't let you. They will not let you bring that up. But it's being brought up in the Supreme Court right now with a very, very important challenge to Roe and also Casey, and it's important. Because for those of us who believe in science and believe in life, this is the moment to throw it all back in their face and say, why don't you believe in science? Science now says when a life can be viable. And it's, yeah, it's, guess what? It's 15 weeks, like the Mississippi law says, where that baby can survive outside the womb. And so science now would say that anything after that should be illegal, at least on the federal level. So why are you anti-science? But that's not the science they like. No, no, no. The science they like is the science that Fauci likes. That's the big difference there. 877-381-3811. This is the Mark Levin Show. Coming right back. Mark Levin. I'm a pretty practical guy, and I, I like to think of myself as a, as a realist in life. And the way that I look at things in life is very, very simple. Um, politics is everything. It really is. It's always about driving power. It's, it's always about driving power, and it's always about staying in power when you have it. It really is. For rational, sensible people, not zealots, not ideologues, it's different. Listen, I mean, I, I come from the world of Jersey politics, where a Republican today will morph into be a Democrat tomorrow and survive. And you see this happen a lot of times. That's just called political survival sometimes. And you call them rhinos and Democrats call their people dinos and that sort of thing it goes back and forth, back and forth. But, you know, there's a reason why these people are in power for 20, 30 years. And the very thing that frustrates us on our side about these people, that they seem to be people that will morph is what frustrates the Democrats, the, the, the lefties, the real left people about the people that are in power uh, of their party. The difference, though, is that you and I will come around. In, in the end of the day, we'll, we'll probably come around if that person's our nominee. We'll bite our tongues. We'll go, the, well, you know, our person is still going to be better than theirs, right? But some people won't come around. Some people will sit out in the primary. But think about it from their perspective, from Bernie Sanders' perspective, AOC's perspective, their perspective. They'd rather have a Republican in there than a Democrat who's a moderate. You know why? Because a Democrat, a Republican in there, will do all the things that will then drive their message the next two years, four years. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sometimes losing in politics, you can achieve much more victory. Much more victory. You don't think Bernie would like to rail for the next several years about what the Republicans are doing in Washington as they try to slow them down and block them? Of course he would. Of course he would. I mean, Democrats are in charge now and they can't get anything done because you have this guy, Joe Manchin, standing in their way and some moderate, maybe one or two other moderates, quote unquote moderates in the Senate. They want them gone. They want them gone. And if you go to a Bernie Sanders, you go to these other people and say to them, look, here's the deal. We can keep control of the Senate, but we got to keep Joe Manchin. They'll choose the Republican over Joe Manchin and they'll 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 take a dive. They'll take a dive like a prize fight. Because they figure that, okay, well, you know what? We'll lose. They'll lose. They'll learn. We'll get to be in charge. We'll show them. Before we go, we got to pass this. 
We got to get that through. And that's what they're doing. I mean, that's literally what they're doing. They know they're going to lose the majority. No one thinks the Democrats are going to keep control of Congress in 2022. No one. Democrats don't think it. Republicans don't think it. Democrat strategists don't think it. And yet they are going all in, all in on the socialism, the spending, the Marxism, going all in on it because they have to do it because they're going to lose and they want to get it done. They're not looking to have a press conference and go, America, I've heard you and do the fake, you know, biting of the lip like Bill Clinton. And I've heard you and I'm going to course correct. No, you correct. That's how they view it. You correct. All right, we got a big third hour on the Mark Levin Show. I'll get into that case before the Supreme Court on abortion, as a matter of fact. And the fake hate crime of Jussie Smollett. Let's hope justice is served in that one, right? It's me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one. Coming right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. It is the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. It's me, Rich Zioli, in with you from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. 877-381-3811. Just a programming note. Miranda Devine will be here a little bit later in this hour to talk about her new book on Hunter Biden. That's sleazeball. So I'm excited for that interview. Uh, where do I begin? First of all, the, the, the Supreme Court case on abortion, it's fascinating. It, it really is the, the notion of turning science on the left's head, which I, I love. Because, you know, for me, when I, I, ever I hear these wonderful stories about these babies who were born so premature and are saved by the amazing advances of medicine and science. I, I just keep thinking to myself, my God, you know, how does a court not look at that and say science has changed since the 1970s? And we have to recognize here that this is a this is a human life. And that really is the crux of the argument before the court. And I think it's pretty amazing that we live in a day and age where we're lectured constantly by the left about science. Climate change, COVID, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And when it comes to this issue of abortion, whenever somebody brings up the science of, of, of how these amazing doctors and hospitals, amazing medicine, can save a baby at such an incredibly premature age, they, the left dismisses it. They even justify sometimes. They go, oh, it's terrible. A kid's going to have a terrible life now. How do you know that? He's alive. But they'll do it. They'll say stuff like that all the time. Horrible things that are said. So think, think of science in that aspect, right? Think of science in that aspect and then think about who is the modern day god of science to the left. That would be a Santo Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, the nation's leading infectious disease doctor. You have to say that by law. You know, I saw a Fauci candle today, like one of those religious candles that you burn with his face on it. A Fauci candle. These people are, I'm telling you, now maybe it's a gag gift. I don't know, but... If it's real, and I feel like there are some people who are sitting at home right now, wearing a mask, at home, alone, lighting the Fauci candle. I, I think there's probably people doing that tonight. Again, wearing a mask at home, alone in their house. Or, you know, driving in their car with a mask on, with the Fauci candle next to them on a seat. Not lit, of course, because they're driving, but you know what I mean. I would imagine that's happening right now in America. But here is, uh, here's Fauci on why he is the science. I want to go through this. It's very important to what we're talking about. Kind of encompasses everything, right? Media bias. What is science? And what is the role 
of the executive branch of government versus the legislative branch of government. So, Mr. Producer, if you'd be so kind. The audio clip. Why do you feel so strongly uh, about that, about staying on the job when you become, I mean, you were personally, not just rhetorically, threatened your security, your safety, your family. Yeah. How did you deal with that? I dealt with it by focusing on what my job is. From the time that I went into medicine to the right now where I am at my age, my job has been totally focused on doing what I can with the talents and the influence I have to make scientific advances to protect the health of the American public. So anybody who spends lies and threatens and all that theater that goes on with some of the investigations and the congressional committees and the Rand Pauls and all that other nonsense, that's noise, Margaret. That's noise. I know what my job is. Senator Cruz told the attorney general you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? <laughs> Do you think that right, Let's this stop is... it right there for a second. Thank you, Rich. First of all, let's let's break that down. His creepy laugh like a like a Batman villain aside. First of all, what the question, of course, is here you have a United States senator who is bringing up the fact that Anthony Fauci, a member of the executive branch, might have lied before Congress, might have perjured himself before Congress, might have, in fact, told the American people a lie. So here's the legislative branch doing its constitutional job of being a check on the executive branch of government. And instead of her following up and go, well, Senator, that's, you know, we're not talking about January 6th here. We're talking about you and and possibly now the accusation is that you lied to Congress about gain of function research. You lied about the lab leak. You you lied about these things. That's what they're arguing. How, how do you want to respond to that? Now, don't give me a giggle. Don't give me a giggle like you've just tied up Robin and you're waiting for Batman to rescue him. Like, like answer the question. This is their job. Their job is to check the executive branch of government. So what do you have to say to that, Senator, Dr. Fauci? But again, Margaret Brennan's on his side. He's the victim here, right? He's the victim. And, and even though it's very, very likely that Fauci did lie to Congress on multiple occasions about gain-of-function research, which led to the virus in China being in that lab, and maybe we could have very early on intervened in this whole thing, she's willing to let that go because Fauci's a hero of the left, and she is CBS. So obviously you got to give the guy a pass on it. But now listen to what a megalomaniac this guy is and how he defines science. You ready? Here's how Dr. Fauci defines science. It's him. Go ahead. About making you a scapegoat to deflect course. from President Trump. Of course. You have to be asleep not to figure that one out. Well, there are a lot of Republican senators uh, taking aim at this. I yeah, mean, that's OK. I'm just going to do my job and I'm going to be saving lives and they're going to be lying. It seems another layer of danger to play politics around matters of life and death. Right, exactly. Exactly. And to me, that's. That's unbelievably bad because all I want to do is save people's lives. And I mean, anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. That's dangerous. To me, that's more dangerous 
than the slings and the arrows that get thrown at me. And if you damage science, you are doing something very detrimental to society long after I leave. So here's a bureaucrat, a member of the executive branch of government, who says, now, if you come after me, you're actually coming after science. I am science. I'm science. Science. I'm science. And if you come after me, you're coming after science. You're you're hurting science. This is what happens to people who spend their entire career in government. They, they actually believe that they are, in fact, the embodiment of this. But ask yourself this question. Are you science or are you a government employee? See, now, if we could just kind of chip away at how exalted this man is and just look at his job. His, he's a government employee. No different than any other government employee. He's got a job to do. And in the executive branch of government, the legislative branch has a job to see what the executive branch is doing. And that's all these people are trying to do. But yet now he's insulated himself by saying that an attack on me is an attack on science. And the media goes along with it because Fauci is king and everything Fauci says has to be right. And therefore, anything Fauci does is to save lives. When the government starts getting away with lying to people under the guise of we're trying to save lives, think of what they can accomplish. Think of what they have accomplished. Think of think of how totalitarianism has risen in that very context of we're just trying to keep people alive here. We're just trying to keep people safe. All right. So don't argue with us. Don't check on us. Don't tell us what to do. And certainly do not challenge us. We're science. We're here to save your life. We're, and if you disagree with us now, you are anti-science. You want people to die. You are looking for people. Um, when governments have that point of view, think of how dangerous that is. Where, where a government official gets to say, I am the science. I, me, I am the one. And when you come after me, you are challenging the premise of science and you want people to die. That's what he's saying. And, you know, Margaret Brennan's not going to push back and go, yeah, but not for nothing. I mean, you say you represent science, but you're, you're a bureaucrat. You run a department of government. Why are you, why can't we shine a light on you and your department like we shine a light on every other department of government? What makes you so special? What makes you so special? There are legitimate questions about these, these grant applications. There are legitimate questions about what you told Congress. Legitimate questions about the Wuhan lab funding. Why, what makes you untouchable versus every other person who works in the United States government and every other person in the executive branch of government who runs a department? But you know, there's a mindset to this too, right? The mindset is that we have, as a country now, we have decided that the executive branch of government should run everything, should run everything. So we have abdicated so much power to the presidency and the executive department that the legislative branch now basically does nothing. I mean, they make rules and regulations on the executive branch. They institute them. They implement them. They're not afraid of Congress anymore. They're not. They're not afraid of Congress pulling them in front of a committee and, you know, grilling them. No, it's their opportunity to become a star by pushing back on some of them. And it used to be that at least maybe members of Congress would, would kind of join together. Republican and Democrat, when you had a member of the executive branch in front of them. But now it's partisan. So they're all on the defend Fauci team. And the media goes along with it, too. He's the science. He says he decides what science is. So, so I mean, when you when you when you have a mindset in this country that is willing to accept that anybody who challenges the person, a, a person who runs a department of government, that anybody who challenges that person is just challenging science. Where does that end? Where does that end? Now, you, you know, I bring this up because of the 
Supreme Court case with abortion, which has a lot to do with, obviously, science. And the argument being, of course, that science needs to be examined here in light of the changes that have occurred since the 1970s. And, and everything we hear about right now, entirely in this country, is a bunch of people lecturing us all the time how you are anti-science. Well, luckily for you, this opportunity now with the Supreme Court is a chance to turn that on its head for once and to remind everybody that, no, in fact, pro-lifers are very, very much on the side of science. Miranda Devine will be my guest straight ahead. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one, Mark Levin. Don't go away. Mark Levin. here on the Mark Levin Show, even when Mark is off. It's me, Rich Zioli from WPHD, talk radio 1210 in Philadelphia, Mark's hometown. Very happy to welcome to the show Miranda Devine, her new book, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. Miranda, welcome to the Mark Levin Show. Thanks so much, Rich. Great to be with you. Great to be with you as well. So tell me, why is Hunter Biden such an absolute sleazeball? <laughs> well, look, I, I feel a little sorry for Hunter Biden, having spent so long delving into his life over nine years on that laptop. Um, I, I don't think he really ever had a chance. So, you know, I'll just leave you with one thought, which is that if, um, if your son has a drug addiction problem, what kind of father puts him in front of torrents of unaccountable cash. And that's what Joe Biden did to Hunter Biden. I mean, Hunter Biden's an adult, but his father, knowing that he has had a problem with drugs and alcohol since he was a teenager, um, made him the bag man for the family. And I don't think that shows a great deal of love or concern for your own child. Well, no. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you. It, it, you should be concerned with your child uh, and their mental health and their recovery and everything like this. And putting them in those very stressful situations can't be good. And also, too, I would add uh, some of these situations, which w w with, with Hunter Biden, I mean, literally involving some some pretty sleazy people who I would imagine would 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 put him into some very uncomfortable situations. Right. Well, it, it basically, um Thanks to Joe Biden, Hunter Biden was introduced to um, the inner sanctum of uh, both President Xi of China and Vladimir Putin in Russia. He was um, mixing with the oligarchs who were at the very top of both of those power structures, uh, both in Moscow and in Beijing and in Shanghai. Um, his father introduced him to those people. In fact, in 2013, when Joe Biden was vice president, he flew Hunter on Air Force Two with him to Beijing for a series of meetings with uh, President Xi and the big wigs there in China. And uh, he also um, was introduced at that time to one of Hunter Biden's new business partners because, um, you know, a few days after they left Beijing, Hunter, of course, um, uh, the deal was signed and, and delivered on a... a, a basically a fund, an investment fund that would grow to, by 2019, have $2.5 billion worth of uh, managed funds, funds invested in it. And, uh, and Hunter Biden still owns 10% of that 
business. It's uh, called BHR. And, um, you know, that means that the president's son um, was in business with the Chinese Communist Party. Well, let's think about that, Marina Devine, because all of this was supposed to come out before the election on the laptop from hell, which came which came out in this Delaware repair shop not too far from where I'm broadcasting tonight. And immediately everybody said, come on, it's a bunch of BS. It's 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 Russian uh, misinformation. Right. They try to pretend like this was entirely just made up. And yet now we know it wasn't. I mean, were there more than one laptop involved here? And all? was there more than one? Well, we only have one. We have the laptop um, that Hunter Biden left at the Delaware uh, Mac repair shop with John Paul Mac Isaac, um, and then never came to recover and never paid his bill, and therefore it was legally abandoned and it became the property of John Paul Mac Isaac. We have that uh, laptop or that hard drive, you know, the copy of the laptop. Um, but there were two other laptops that I know of that Hunter Biden lost. And look, that is not a surprise. If you know what his life was like, I mean, he's he's written about it in his own memoir that he was a crackhead. Um, for, you know, months on end, he'd be on these vendors spending, you know, gazillions of dollars on drugs and, uh, you know, hookers and in these lavish hotel rooms and um, um, he just wasn't in control of his property. He would lose tele- he'd lose, lose iPhones, he would lose MacBooks. Um, and uh, anyway, there were two other MacBooks that we know of. One he left at the home of his uh, sometime psychiatrist in uh, Newburyville, in Newburyport, sorry, in uh, Massachusetts. Um, and that uh, was kept, that was Keith Abloh, and Keith Abloh put it into his safe and asked Hunter Biden to come pick it up. But just as with the other laptop, he didn't bother. And then there's a third laptop that Hunter himself talks about in a video uh, that's on the laptop that we have, because um, he used to just film himself all the time, having sex, um, you know, in the nude. He loved his body. He loved filming himself having sex and uploading it onto um, Pornhub and various places. So there's a video that he's taken of himself with a prostitute, and after they've had sex, he starts talking to her rambling fashion um, about uh, this incident that happened to him in Las Vegas when he almost drowned in a pool uh, in this sort of luxury penthouse with an internal pool, um, and uh, he was sort of woke up face down in the water, and um, there were these Russian drug dealers there, and they were busily um, sort of stealing all his stuff while they thought he was dead. So, um, and and then he says, well, you know, I lost this. Life. Miranda, give me a favor because yeah. I, I have to take a break. Would you be, would you stick around for a little bit? Because sure, I, I have to. so many more questions to ask you. Wonderful. Okay. All right, great. Uh, hold hold that thought because this is a juicy story. Obviously, uh, here on the Mark Levin Show, Miranda Devine is here. The laptop from hell, all about Hunter Biden. We're finding all the juicy, sleazy details of this guy who was really Biden's bag man. And Miranda asked the great the great question: What kind of a father lets his son, a recovering drug and alcoholic? walk around and be his bag man with all these sleazy people. We'll be right back. (music) 
some people talk about the Tea Party, we are the Tea Party. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Welcome back to the Mark Levin Show. It's me, Rich Zioli, in for the great one. I am very happy to be talking to Miranda Devine tonight. Her new book, Laptop from Hell, Hunter Biden, Big Tech, and the Dirty Secrets the President Tried to Hide. So, Miranda, you were telling us a story and uh, we had to take a break, but I was really riveted here by the story. So back up a little bit for us, if you would, and and kind of kind of keep going, if you could. Well, we're talking about Hunter Biden uh, losing all his property, and he lost, as, as far as we know, three laptops. The one we have that he dropped off at the Mac repair shop and never picked up. Uh, there was another one he left behind at his uh, psychiatrist's home, and that was kept in a safe. And this third one that he talked about in a video that he made um, with a prostitute that he was uh, engaged with at that point. Um, and he was just discussing how he'd been on this bender in Vegas. He'd uh, woken up in this penthouse apartment or penthouse hotel room that had this gorgeous um, swimming pool that was sort of out over the um, over the balcony and he woke up face down drowning basically and he came to and saw all these Russian these Russian drug dealers that he'd invited into the room were basically stealing all his stuff and they stole his laptop. He's telling the prostitute about this sometime later and she's like, oh, well, you know, if they're going to do anything with it. But he goes, no, you don't understand. My father is running for president and this could be a problem for me. I could get blackmailed and I've got gazillions of dollars. So he was aware at that point uh, how his, um, you know, losing all these laptops actually was significant in terms of his father's career, but he didn't really seem to care. And the point I always think of about when he dropped off that lap book in Delaware and went, he ended up going to California, he went back to Chateau Marmont, uh, where he used to have all these benders, and he met the woman who's now his wife, and he really never came back to live uh, on the East Coast. But um, he dropped that laptop off just a couple of weeks before his father, this was April 2019, before his father announced that he was going to be president or going to run for president, sorry. Um, and Hunter knew that because, he, you know, Joe had been consulting with his family for months. Um, and uh, so it almost looks like a Freudian um, sort of, sabotage act um you know hunter biden really worshipped his father worships i guess still his father but he is quite ambivalent about him as well and i think with good reason um joe really used hunter biden um as i said as the bagman hunter wanted to be uh, an artist or a writer but he was expected to work in these grace and favor jobs that Joe organized with his donors, making huge amounts of money, way over the salary that he should have got. And from that salary, he was expected to pay the family's bills. And this kind of grift went on um, with all sorts of deals that he got tipped into by his father and with his uncle Jim. And then, of course, when Joe became vice president, that grift uh, that family influence peddling scheme went international, and suddenly we're talking about tens of millions of dollars involved. Now, Cafe Milano sounds like a delicious cookie. <laughs> well, Cafe Milano is this very swanky Italian restaurant in Georgetown uh, that's frequented by a lot of politicians, and it has a private room called the Garden Room. And in April 2016, Hunter Biden organized a dinner for a number of his business associates from various countries around the world, such as Ukraine, Russia, 
uh, and Kazakhstan, and uh, and I think there were some Mexicans there. They they were on the guest list anyway, and. Joe Biden came to the dinner and Hunter Biden had promised the guests beforehand that Joe, who was then vice president, would come along and meet them. And he did. Now, Joe Biden lied about that to the American people. He lied during the campaign. He said that he knew nothing about Hunter Biden's overseas business dealings. Well, we know that he met Mexicans, Ukrainians, Russians, Chinese, Kazakhstanis. He met them in Beijing. He met them at Cafe Milano. Even he invited them to his home um, in in Washington when he was vice president. Um, He met Hunter Biden's partners. So that was a lie. And then when uh, we first got the laptop, the New York Post, back in October, um, three weeks before the election, and we published a story um, saying, uh, which was an email basically from the laptop, from the Ukrainian business partner of Hunter, who was paying him uh, $83,000 a month for literally doing nothing, just sitting on the board of this uh, corrupt energy company from Ukraine, Burisma. Um, so this this uh, Ukrainian guy writes an email and says to Hunter, thanks so much for introducing me to your father and letting me have a meeting with him in Washington. And uh, basically, Hunter Biden, uh, Joe Biden's campaign said that that was garbage, it wasn't true. And then Joe Biden said it was all Russian disinformation. And then you had the former CIA director, John Brennan, cooked up this letter with uh, 50 other former, you know, spooks or defense personnel um and uh they they all claimed that this was the whole laptop looked like russian disinformation and in their expert opinion even though they hadn't looked at it they hadn't even asked to look for it but that was enough to stop the rest of the media from treating it seriously and it also gave joe biden who um had to go into a debate against donald trump shortly after our stories broke in october of 2020 um it gave him this ironclad excuse as soon as uh donald trump of course brought it up and said they're calling you corrupt joe uh, joe biden said it's just garbage uh, we've got all these 50 eminent uh people from the intelligence community have said that it's Russian disinformation and he got away with it and he was elected president and you know thanks to also big tech uh, censoring the New York Post story and blocking it and blocking our uh, account on Twitter for two weeks until a few days before the election that story never really got out to the American people and the American people were none the wiser about the character of uh, one of the two candidates. Now, uh, Marina Devine, obviously a lot of people kept saying, well, th- what does this have to do with Joe Biden? What does this have to do with Joe Biden? And they still say it all, over and over. Right? What does it have to do with Joe mm-hmm. Biden? But tell us about 10% for the big guy. Well, look, this story in my book is not about Hunter Biden. It's about Joe Biden because uh, Joe Biden was the patriarch of this family, or is, and he is the guy who is the beneficiary and also the product. And he's intimately involved in the conduct of this family influence peddling operation. And he has been since his first days in uh, as a senator for Delaware. Now, um, 
one of the emails that we have shows there's a deal between um, Hunter and, and his partners um, and his uncle Jim and also Joe um, and uh, this Chinese energy company called CEFC. And it's not just a Chinese energy company. It is the capitalist arm of President Xi Jinping's Belt and Road Initiative, which is basically uh, the way China is colonising the rest of the world. So... Uh, this company, um, it was being set up uh, by Hunter and his partners, and they brought in a CEO uh, called Tony Bobulinski, you know, a very serious uh, a Navy veteran, a very serious businessman, and he was supposed to, you know, make this a proper company with all the proper due diligence in it. And he was vetted by Joe Biden at two meetings in California uh, as the CEO of this business, and they drew up... Um, you know, documents showing how the equity in the company would be split up. And part of that was 10% was going to be um, allocated to Hunter Biden to hold for the big guy. And the big guy is Joe Biden. And we know that because, uh, well, elsewhere in the laptop, he's referred to as the big guy. We also know, um, I use in, the, in my book, Tony Bobolinsky has um, given us the uh, contents of his phone and a whole lot of WhatsApp messages between him and Hunter Biden and his partners in which they refer to Joe Biden as the big guy. And Tony Bobolinsky himself, uh, he, before the election, very courageously came forward and said that he knows and he has spoken to Joe Biden and he and that Hunter Biden referred to his father as the big guy and, um, you know, open and shut case that Joe Biden was part of this uh, group and was going to benefit financially from it to the tune of 10% of a lot of money. Um, but also we know that Joe Biden benefited. I mean, there's other evidence on the laptop um, from Hunter Biden paying for various bills of his. Uh, you know, there's an email from one of Hunter's um, sort of factotum uh, totting up a whole lot of... Uh, basically maintenance and um, upkeep of Joe Biden's palatial mansion in Delaware, um, you know, a, a retaining wall being fixed and some painting and some and air conditioning being replaced and some shutters and, you know, a few thousand here, a few thousand there. And this were these were bills that, that Hunter was, uh, you know, and it meant to be paying through his uh, factotum and uh, an AT&T bill of Joe Biden's. So, uh, and there's other mingling of their finances, um, the, you know, bank accounts that, um, of Hunter Biden's that Joe Biden had access to. So, um, you know, you, you're talking about a 50-year-old man in Hunter Biden uh, when this was going on. And, uh, you know, he's not a child. He doesn't need his father to be signature, signatory on his bank accounts. Uh, so there, there was, um, uh, you know, very clear circumstantial evidence anyway that Joe Biden was benefiting financially from this family influence peddling business. Well, Marina Devine, there's a lot here, obviously, to break down with uh, Hunter Biden and the laptop. And the last thing I want to ask you before I let you go here on the Mark Levin Show, is it really true that Hunter Biden talked about running for public <laughs> office himself? I mean, is that really a thing or is that just come on? Come on. No, it is. It is. I mean, it sounds like your worst nightmare, but no, he really does have political ambitions. Um, and uh, we know that. Uh, 
he told his ex-wife at the funeral of his brother Beau, at which he made a um, you know very um, beautiful and heartfelt um, eulogy. And he said to his wife afterwards on the way home in the car, "Oh, everybody was coming up to me and congratulating me and telling me what a great job I did. And you know, I should I should go into um, public office. I should maybe run for politics." And she laughed at him, laughed in his face, basically, and said, "Are you kidding? You know, you've just been thrown out of the navy for cocaine use." And Hunter really held that against her. He was very upset uh, that she would have such little faith in him. Um, and then another friend of his who I've spoken to, uh, basically uh, anonymously, um, said that he that Hunter Biden is a very smart guy, that he always gets what he wants. And I sort of laughed at that. He said, no, think about it. He wanted to be an author. He wrote a book. Uh, he wanted to be an artist. Well, he's selling paintings now for $500,000. So whether they're good or not, they're selling. Um, and, uh, and, and he also is now sitting at the right hand of his father in the White House as his most trusted advisor. So he's exactly where he wanted to be. And this friend also said to me, Hunter wants to be um, something, something important. Uh, and he's been urging him to go into politics. And um, and, and I, when I scoffed at that, he said, no, think about it. It's the classic American redemption story. Uh, and he has, you know, the, the, the sort of social skills to do it, the, the, the story about having kicked addiction like a lot of Americans have. So, you know, I mean, it. It's hard to believe, and I think it would be appalling because, um, you know, I don't really think Hunter Biden is a person of good character to be able to run the country. But um, I actually think he's a better person than his father. Just to end on that, um, you know. Well, he'd be a more entertaining uh, candidate, uh, that's for sure. So, and we all we all love a good show. So, I mean, why not, right? Uh, Miranda well, Devine, thank I'm... you. What's that? I suppose I'm I'm just a, a bit aghast at the idea. <laughs> well, listen, the laptop from hell, it's available everywhere. I appreciate you coming on the Mark Levin show tonight and talking about it. There's a there's a lot here, obviously. Uh, great job digging into it, Miranda Devine, and uh, and getting to the bottom of we we certainly appreciate your hard work. Thanks so much, Rich. Really nice to talk to you. Very nice to talk to you. Laptop from hell. Hunter Biden, big tech and the dirty secrets the president tried to hide. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. It is the Mark Levin Show. The great one is off tonight. Thanks for hanging out with me tonight. Rich Zioli from Mark's hometown of Philadelphia. Uh, you know, let me just say, too, you know, with with everything with the laptop story, and I'm glad Miranda Devine could come on tonight because I think that the, I've got a, a, a tweet that I a little while ago I tweeted out when the Hunter Biden laptop story came out. Jen Psaki, the White House press secretary, tweeted out something about how 50 different intelligence people all said that this was Russian misinformation. And she tweeted that out. And that tweet is still out there, by the way about the laptop. They, all these different hacks wrote a letter saying, this smells to us like Russian misinformation. And so I tweeted that out and I said, you know, this is a great example of somebody using disinformation to try to argue that something is misinformation. Because what Jen Psaki did in that tweet and what all these various intelligence peoples did, people did was they put together a letter using literally disinformation to try to say that this is not real. 
disinformation is even as if or maybe even more dangerous than misinformation is. And the government uses disinformation all the time where they purposely put out information that they know is wrong to try to change the narrative on something. And they did that with the Hunter Biden laptop story. Fifty different intelligence people all coming together to say this smells like Russian misinformation. And that was classic disinformation by the very, very people in government that should have known better. But they had an agenda. That agenda was stopping Donald Trump. And Jen Psaki tweets that out, and it's still there on Twitter today. She doesn't have to take it down. And all these different media outlets, and nobody had to apologize either. Now we know that everything about that is real and dangerous and really something that the media should be looking into because of the fact that the president of the United States could be vulnerable here. And when we're dealing with China every single day, we got China now with these hypersonic nuclear missiles. We got China now in space. You got to get to the bottom of all of this. Hey, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight on the Mark Levin Show. Always an honor to fill in for the great one and hang out with my fellow Levinites. It's me, Rich Zioli, signing off for the Mark Levin Show. Thanks to Rich and Rich, Mr. Producer, Mr. Call Screener, my buddies. Don't forget to get the This Is America podcast with Rich Valdez. See you soon.